Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. qui cherchait Saka, Jorginho qui s'emmêle dans ses rythmes et qui peut enchaîner avec Ben White. Cette fois, il n'y a pas d'enjeu. Tête de Tyrone X, Ben Axe. Et ça, Bukayo Saka ne laisse pas passer. Bukayo Saka est lui aussi phénoménal. Eudegarde et Saka qui ont joué vite ce corner. Eudegarde, Zinchenko, faut frapper, faut mettre toute la puissance. Oh oui. Et marquer un sacré but. Oh, Alexandre Zinchenko Sun, la révolte d'Arsenal Un sacré coup de patte du gaucher ukrainien Et Arsenal qui retrouve l'envie, la fougue et l'espoir Atrás con Consa. Oui, en Ketia que le roba la cartera à Consa. El balón para Odega. Madre mía. Fuera, 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 fuera Ocasión clamorosa para Martin Odegar. Bailey, 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 al larguero Pero es que además hay una parada extraordinaria Toca de Aaron Ramsdale. Ramsdale. Sí, señor. Martinelli busca un pase. Balón atrás. ¡Madre mía! ¡Gol, gol, gol, gol! ¡Qué locura! ¡Gol, gol, gol, gol de Jorginho! Martinelli, Howell. Martinelli, la Jorginho. Jorginho. ¡Allah! 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 Martinelli. Faut qu'il aille provoquer Martinelli dans cette surface. Faut qu'il se passe quelque chose en retrait. Jorginho! Oh, quel but! De Jorginho avec oh un maximum de réussite. Martinez qui marque d'une certaine manière contre son camp. Mais le coup de pétard de Jorginho! Todo vida par expectante. La Premier League mirando el Manchester City, el Manchester United. Todos los equipos pendientes de este Villa Arsenal. El córner ejecutado por Lucas Dean al punto de penalti, despeja la defensa Gunner, ojo que puede venir el contragolpe, dirige Fabio Vieira, Fabio Vieira que avanza, mete el pase para Martinelli, Martinelli es el cuarto, Martinelli es el cuarto, Martinelli es el cuarto, gol, gol, gol. Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, a very goodly morning to you, to everyone listening, and of course to Emmy Martinez. Yes, a very goodly morning. We all raise a goodly morning mug to Emmy Martinez. Isn't it funny that Emmy Emmy Martinez basically plays with a guy whose name means goodly morning? Of course. Buendia. Emmy Buendia. We should have known. The signs were there all along. Uh, yes, listen, I, it didn't always look like it was going to be 
a happy one, but it ended very happily indeed. It certainly did end very happily, and you're right to say it did not look like it was going to be a happy one, but isn't that just the ridiculous nature of football that, you know, how many hundreds and thousands of football matches have we watched between us and all the people listening to this? How many matches have you watched? And you, you you know things about the game. You know things about football. You know the way certain games transpire. But even though we've seen many things down the past, good, bad, and indifferent, the ability of this game to sort of lift you from panic slash despair, whatever people were feeling at 2-1 down, to whatever the hell that was at the end, I don't quite know how to describe it as joy, elation, hilarity, all of those things, that it can still do that to you is is sort of a wonder, isn't it? Because we should be sort of used to it by now, but I don't think you ever do get used to, to things happening the way things happened in this game. No, I think that's true. And it's funny, you know, we, I think we spoke in the build-up about the win at Aston Villa last season and how at one point it seemed that was going to be a really kind of galvanising moment mm. in our season. And you you feel like this could be two. I mean, the result is one thing, the performance is another, but I think the impact of it is significant. You know, I think yeah. it, it, just see the celebrations for the last couple of goals and at full time, it's really evident what this has done for the players. And, and coupled with the Manchester City result against Nottingham Forest, it's really just transformed the outlook at the club and around the club. I mean, you know, things seem so much brighter than just a few days ago. Well, that's it. It's, it's complete sea change from where we were on Wednesday night, Thursday morning yeah, after Thursday. the Man City game. You're thinking, oh, you know, things aren't going our way. And, you know, sometimes it's difficult to get yourself out of a funk and mm-hmm. and just mad things can happen in football. Mad things can happen in your games and in other games that change the landscape and change the um, change the mood. And I think you're right to say this could could be a galvanizing win. Like it feels like a shot in the arm kind of victory. Sometimes you can scrap out a victory and you go, okay, yeah, well, that was, was good three points. We needed those, but I think th- this was this was a result that we badly, badly needed. And on a day where I think. Everybody uh, at Arsenal and, and fans would say, first half, really not good enough, not anywhere close to being good enough, to be able to turn it around, to show the character, to show the quality, to show the determination, even if it came with a little bit of good fortune here and there, you know, to be able to do that uh, speaks volumes about what this team is capable of. And I think maybe has assuaged some of the doubts that, that might have just crept in over the last couple of weeks where... I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there were people going, was it all just, you know, were we overperforming our XG, if you like? Uh, and now things are coming back to, to normal. But, you know, you can you can really sense that this threw off some of the shackles, hopefully. You know, that won't be evident until we play again and play again and play again. But, you know, if you can't come away from this one without taking all the positives, you know, uh, and there are negatives that we'll discuss in this, of course. But, you know, I think for the team and for the manager and, and everyone else, it, it really is a, a huge victory uh, because it did, as you say, look for a while like it wasn't going to happen. 
Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you don't know what you need until you get it. But this was kind of exactly what Arsenal needed. I think the comeback narrative in the game of mm. twice being behind, going on to win it, to win it in late fashion, it will have instilled so much more belief, you know, back into the players. And mm. it's, it is exactly what we were looking for. Um, we just probably didn't quite realise it, it at the time. And I think, um, yeah, it, it was just like, a lot of uh, there's a lot of catharsis, I think, in those stoppage time minutes as well, because there's been a lot of frustration. Obviously, the City game was really disappointing. Mm. Brentford, we had all the issues with you know VAR and the disallowed goal, and felt like a sense of injustice there. Mm-hmm. You know, Goodison Park before that, uh, another disappointing performance and poor result. And I think, yeah, it felt like a lot of it was exercised in those final few moments. Um, and fingers crossed, it provides. A kind of platform for us to to go again. It reminded me a little bit. Obviously, this story doesn't quite end how we wanted, but last season it reminded me a little bit of when we went to Stamford Bridge. You know, off the back of a few bad results, really trying circumstances, and got a big win there. Mm. And it did kind of set up a kind of second charge for the top four, one that ultimately, uh, as I say, didn't pan out as we might have hoped. But uh, that result propelled us through the next few games. And I think, I hope, mm. this result could have the same effect for Arsenal now. Yes, I hope so too. I hope so too. So, um, shall we start with the first half? Because we need to get that out of the way before we get on to all the good, funny stuff. Yes, I think so. Um, I think so. It wasn't a good first half. I mean, he did make a change, a couple of changes to the team from Man City. Ben White came back in at right back. Leandro Trossard got a start ahead of Gabriel Martinelli. Beyond that, you know, realistically, I don't know that there was much more he could have done. I mean, there were a couple of options, but, uh, you know, I wasn't convinced he was going to go there. No, Um, I I thought maybe Kieran Tierney would come in. Um, I I sort of thought that too, but I wasn't surprised to see Zinchenko start. No, I mean, Zinchenko has sort of achieved uh, Shaka status, I think, of if fit he starts uh, under Arteta. I think that could be true, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, he didn't cover himself in glory on this opening goal after just, what, six minutes? Was it? No, he lost the ball high up the pitch, but, you know, that was a bit careless, a bit casual. But I do think you have to look at how quickly it went from us losing the ball just outside the opposition box to danger at the other end. Um, mm-hmm. So you, I don't think you can pin it all on, on Zinchenko by any means. I mean, it's a decent break. It's a good finish by Ollie Watkins. I do think maybe William Saliba could have got there a bit uh, quicker, maybe got a bit tighter to him, forced him uh, the other way. Um, not brilliant defending, not terrible defending, but not brilliant defending. And it's a very good finish, you have to say. But it's a sort of sucker punch goal that... We used to concede quite a bit. We haven't seen us concede that goal and indeed the second goal for quite some time. So, um, yeah, I mean, a, a bit worrying from a defensive point of view. Yes, it was an awkward one for Saliba because Watkins was basically lurking on the halfway line, which mm. makes him almost impossible to play offside. I think if he's you know ten yards up the pitch, Saliba probably steps up there with Gabriel and mm. and they play him off. Um, and once Watkins gets the ball, I think you know, Saliba will watch it back and think, could I have got closer to him? I also think you do have to give credit to the striker in this situation. I mean, 
he does execute that pretty much perfectly. Mm. Uh, I, I feel like Ollie Watkins, I know he's, a, a, I think, a boyhood Arsenal fan, is a different player when he plays Arsenal. Whenever he plays us, I'm like, bloody hell, Ollie Watkins is good. And then I don't hear from him <laughs> for about a year. Do you know what I mean? And then he turns yeah. up and runs us ragged again. Yeah, I saw a question. Sorry, I can't find it. But someone was saying, like, is Ollie Watkins somebody we should look at as a you know potential striking signing? And it's, it, it, it is one of those where he's always eye-catching against us. Yeah. And it sort of informs people's view of him as a player because maybe they don't watch him week in, week out for, for Villa. Like, he's a good player, no question. But, um, yeah, <laughs> he does always seem to deliver Something, he's, he's very up for these Arsenal games, that's for sure. But, mm. yeah, I mean, it's a good finish. I did wonder, like, it's quite close to the keeper, but it's hit with a lot of power and very low. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's... It is a very good finish. I think it's way more a good finish than it is any kind of uh, poor goalkeeping. Um, so, yeah, 1-0 down, far from ideal. Not a great way to start the game because, you know, we've been talking about maybe getting a fast start ourselves uh, rather than handing one to the opposition. Nevertheless, I think we did. I think we did pretty well after the goal. I thought we... Um, cause Villa some problems. Obviously, the the goal that we got, the the equaliser, is a sort of, I won't say opportunistic, but the ball falls brilliantly for, or the ball falls for Saka, and he just puts it away. It's an amazing finish from Bakayo Saka. But I think it's a consequence of the team pushing as much as anything else. Yes, I mean, I, I think that we created an opportunity literally a few moments before this, where which was kind of similar with, uh, I think, again, the same combination of Jorginho finding White on the overlap mm. and he squared it. And, and the commentator said that Tyrone Mings cleared it. I mean, I have to say, it wasn't conclusive to me who got the touch on it, whether it was Mings or Nketiah, but... Um, oh, I'd have you know, to watch was... that again. I just, I just assumed yeah. it was um, Mings. It wasn't a great header. Uh, let me see. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. I'll have a look. So I mean, on the uh, this is the one that's cleared from right under the bar. Oh, the, on, like, the 11th yeah, yeah. Minute. Sorry, you know sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it was it was a similar build up. Um, pass to White on the outside and him getting in the box. I mean, when we watch this one back, I do think if you're an Aston Villa fan, you will wonder why on earth Tyron Tyron Mings, um, keeps that in play. Like, why doesn't he just put it behind? Yeah, it's, it's really a, strange. It's a bad decision. Uh, I think just to sort of head it back into a, an area where potentially someone can do well something extraordinary. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant finish, isn't it? It is an incredible shot. Yeah, I mean the way it's still rising as it hits the net mm. um, is very pretty to look at. And yeah, I liked the Thierry Henry tribute celebration as well, but over by the corner flag. Yes, yes, um, and Saka continues to be a player who steps up in big moments for Arsenal, you know, when they need something, um, he invariably is the guy who produces. Well, I mean, that's been the case for, for a while. And I think what we're seeing is, you know, uh, it would be uh, hardly a surprise if I was to say that Bakayo Saka is, is a special player and a special talent. But, you know, he is still only 21 years of age. And to be producing what he's producing at that age on such a consistent basis is remarkable. You know, we have a very, very special talent on our hands here. And yeah. it's um, it's a joy to watch him develop. Like, have you seen 
I think it's the the last goal, the Martinelli goal. And as the goal is being scored, you know, the players are watching from behind and, and Saka basically in the 97th minute, whatever it is, makes a sprint through midfield to catch up so he can join in the celebrations. I know. We all have <laughs> our worries about fatigue and rotation. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, clearly, athletically, this boy's still got so much left in the tank. Incredible. I do, I do think it's amazing... And I, and I think um, maybe we'll have questions about this, but the story of his game in particular is one of persistence in the face of, you know, really tricky, difficult physicality. I mean, mm. he's is, he is getting kicked pillar to post week in, week out, and he refuses to be cowed by that. Um, yeah, we do have questions about that. So maybe we'll park that discussion for, for part two because there are some questions about that. But I think you're right. You know, there's a sort of relentlessness to him and and it doesn't matter how many times he's kicked it doesn't matter how hurt he is it doesn't matter what stage of the game it is he's always there trying to make something happen and mm. um at that age it's extraordinary yeah. you know he uh, he's he's younger than Flo Balligan you know who we're talking about oh he's doing well in France he's having mm. his breakout season um could he could he do it in the Premier League? And Bukayo Saka, I think, is about three months younger, and he's doing wow. it week in week and out. has been, yeah, and, and has, has been, been for years. It's kind of extraordinary for a while. Um, right, the second Aston Villa goal on a scale of one to one hundred. Yes, how angry do you think Mikel Arteta would have been about that goal when he got into the dressing room at halftime and was talking to his players? Like, I feel like this is going to be a feature of the video review sessions that they do in training this week where he's going to show them this. Um, nobody won their duel. And that's not good enough as far as Mikel Arteta is concerned. No, and it's a, it's a you know, from a Villa perspective, pretty goal, play it out from the back, but it's just far too easy. I mean, the front three, mm. I actually don't have capacity to look right now but I'd be fascinated to know what had just happened in the game prior to that goal kick because Arsenal's front three aren't really switched on there's no shape to the press um, and it enables Villa to play out incredibly easily and take three or four Arsenal players out of the game I mean Martin Odegaard at least tries to get close to his man um, which makes him fairly unique within the Arsenal team it was a, it was a corner it was a corner yeah right? which Martinez yeah claimed and then got up and uh, sort of bowled it out and away they go. So there was probably a lack of uh, organisation. We yeah, yeah, exactly. Not getting back into position well enough and they bypass. I mean, it's way too easy. I think from front to back, the defending on this or the lack of defending on this, you know, we make mistakes, players get caught um, just moving, making the wrong movements, goes yeah. through Xhaka's legs I don't think Ben White will be particularly happy with the way the guy goes around him on the outside. You know, no, but, um, no. From that point on, I do think it's a good dummy and a decent finish. I imagine the goalkeeper's probably unsighted by Gabriel. Um, it, it, from once they once they get it into the box, you know, they execute it mm. effectively. But it's far too easy for them to progress to that point. It's one of the sloppier goals we have conceded this season. For sure, for sure. And I think our first half in particular was 
it's it's hard to look at that first half and not think that all of the ingredients from the last couple of weeks were were in play. You know what I mean? Having played against Manchester City on Wednesday night, the effort and the physicality that goes into that. I'm not saying it's an excuse. I'm not saying the players were overly fatigued, but it is not unusual for a team that's played in midweek to have a, a difficult first half. You know, we've seen no, that. No, it was a short turnaround. Yeah. Um, but then also the Everton game, the Brentford game, you know, when you're not feeling 100% confident, it can be, you know, that's when you start to feel a little bit tired. That's when the passes aren't quite quick enough. That's when you're taking too many touches. That's when the movement isn't quite there. And I think all of those ingredients played into what was a, a really poor first half from Arsenal. And, you know, the fact that they went in at halftime, got sent out early, um, Mikel Arteta's face on the, the bench as he was waiting for the second half to begin was, you know, I, I wouldn't have liked to have been in that dressing room. That's all I'm saying. Yes, I, I forget who actually said it post-game, but one of the players said that Arteta basically told them that the individual quality had to be raised. You know, this was a case of Arsenal players not playing at their level mm. um, and effectively challenged them to do that in the second half. It's an interesting half because I completely agree with Paul. Um, at the same time, Villa profited. They punished our lapses to the maximum. I don't mm -hmm. think they had any other moments really in the game. Um, they had kind of two attacks that I recall when they scored from them both. Um, so, you know, we, I do think that even though we'd been poor, uh, we were a little unfortunate to be behind. And in the interest of balance, because I think both of these players really came through for Arsenal in the second <laughs> half. But I, I, there were a couple that were, I was particularly concerned by. So one was Martin Odegaard in that I just felt we weren't getting him into the game. Mm -hmm. uh, you just weren't seeing him on the ball. And that's a bad sign for Arsenal. And the other was Zinchenko, who <laughs> I think at his best... Uh, makes a complicated game look simple. Uh, and I felt at times in the first half was sort of doing the opposite of that. Yes. You know, Overcomplicating things a little bit at times. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I texted you at halftime about Sinchenko. And uh, yeah, I said he was annoying me. Mm. <laughs> because he was, you know, you know he's capable of better. And I think this maybe is what I was talking about, that first half where where players aren't quite feeling their best and he was taking too many touches and he lost the ball a couple of times and the weight of his passes was not what it should have been. You know, taking a couple of extra touches, then a, a softly rolled pass rather than fizzing the ball around to give the wide man a bit of space. Um, yeah, he was, he was frustrating me, I have to say, and um, I wouldn't have been that surprised if... You know, after 15, 20 minutes of the, the second half, if there hadn't been uh, an improvement, he, he would have been taken off. But yeah, as it turns out, you know, second half from an Arsenal perspective was we were a lot better. wasn't perfect, but we were a lot better. Yeah, I think in the case of uh, Zinchenko, and obviously I'm playing podcast psychologist here. I have absolutely no idea of the reality, but okay. sometimes I feel like, in the last few games, because he's sort of got this new role 
at Arsenal as kind of a leader. And mm. he's got an elevated status within the group. And he's obviously incredibly driven and passionate and all those things. Mm -hmm. In the last few matches, I've almost felt there's been a, a tendency to sort of try and do a bit too much. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like simplicity is sometimes key for him, you know, and, and uh, I, I admire his desire to take on responsibility, but I think there's a balance to be struck and, mm. and he struck it much better, to be fair, uh, in the second half. So... Second half, we had to improve. There was no question about it. We did improve, I think. We we started to put pressure on um, Aston Villa. There was... Yeah. Eddie hit the bar Eddie quite the early bar. on. Yeah. yeah. I know there's... the I, We've got a question about Eddie um, for part two. But, you know, that one in particular, I thought he was, he was quite unlucky in that, you know, he's got above two big defenders got up early and, and looped the header in the right direction just a little bit too much on it. Brilliant header, I think. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think he's he has got that. that spring and he's always had it. It's quite amazing. You know, you don't look at him and think he's going to win a header against, mm. you know, Tyrone Mings or whoever it might be. But he does have that in his uh, arsenal, if you pardon the pun. But, uh, yeah, I think he, personally, I think he, like a lot of the Arsenal players, was much better in the second half. He was. Um Zinchenko was better, and obviously he scored his first Arsenal goal. I think that's Premier League goal, I believe. Wow! Yeah, wow. Um, I mean the the fact that Villa basically completely ignored him, mm. even though they knew he was free on the edge of the box. I mean, thank you very much for that uh, Emery esque defending and organization, but. Um, I mean, you can't give players that amount of room to take a shot. It's a great finish as well, isn't it? I mean, the the quality of the goals in this game, uh, for the most part, was was really, really good. Um, That's true. I, 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 and I would say, I know he's taken on a few shots in the last few weeks and uh, it's been frustrating <laughs> for many people. But I have to be honest, I was watching him in the warm-up at Goodison Park and they were just doing this exercise where, you know, they do it just before they go in. They play little one-twos on the edge of the box and mm. take shots from the D, effectively. And Zinchenko, of all the players, was just putting it in the top corner time after time. It was kind of remarkable. Mm. Um, and we know he has such technical quality that it's really surprising this is his first Premier League goal. Um, and I, anyway, it's a, it's a brilliant strike and a good moment of sort of opportunism from corners. I feel like set pieces were a big weapon for Arsenal in the early part of the season and we've dropped off a little bit in terms yeah. of our efficiency from them. You know, some of our big wins like Stamford Bridge, that was a, a goal from Gabriel from a set piece. We've, we've owed a lot to it. Um, it feels like teams are a little bit more wise to what we're doing on them. So it helps to innovate a little bit like we did in this yeah, chance. It does look like there are a couple of new routines, short corner routines. Um, and one of them obviously ended up with the, with the Zinchenko goal. But Martin Odegaard, he had a big moment, which we'll talk about now in a minute, but he could have had an assist for Eddie Nketiah. Uh, it was a brilliant ball in behind. I think Eddie did well, sort of got the wrong side of the defender, just clipped the ball over the bar, over Martinez and, and over the bar. That was a chance, you know, a big chance to make it 3-2 pretty quickly, which would have, um, which would have, yeah. I think, I think Eddie's second down. touch, he'll probably regret there. Like It went a little one, wide, didn't it? Yeah. yeah, his first one's good, takes him away from the defender. Second one is a little bit wider than he'd want to be, and then he tries to lift it. Um, 
But that was, you know, I do think Odegaard's transformation in this game uh, was pretty amazing. And I think he finished it with seven chances created, which I saw Opta did a stat, which was like the most since Meza Ozil against Newcastle in like 2017. So, right. yeah, that's that tells you, uh, I think, how good he was. Um, but... Yes, there was a big moment. It, we should have been even eulogizing about him even more. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, I'll say before we go into this, I'm so glad that we won that game. Not yeah. for just the obvious reasons, but I do think when you look at Martin Odegaard's face after he puts it wide, he's haunted. <laughs> he's yeah. absolutely haunted by that because it sort of felt like, oh my god that is the moment that this game could have gone in our favor. That's the game that would have, or the, the moment that would have turned it towards Arsenal. Um, and and he's been finishing it. those chances this season, you know? Yeah. He, he has largely been taking those opportunities um, and he's been brilliant. Uh, what, all I would say is, uh, and I guess this is exactly what you should do as a footballer in that situation, but it, it didn't, uh, he didn't let it get to him and it didn't sort of reduce his performance in any way. If anything, he was mm. more determined to to, yeah. to get there. But yeah, of course he should score. And it's really good work from Eddie to create the chance. It is. It is. It's, um, you know, catches, I think it's Kansa, catches Kansa yeah. napping and, and squares it. And you kind of like Eddie's reaction as well. Well, I think that was all of us, wasn't it? Yeah. Head in hands. Oh my God. Disbelief. I mean, you just... In a title race, a, a chance of that quality, yeah. you've just got to be taking it. And I was kind of thinking, maybe it's not going to be our day. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people were thinking that. And I, and, I, I also, sorry, and I texted you this, but mm. I had this fear of like Arsenal have <clears throat> come from behind here to be level. I, I worry that in going gung-ho, mm. they may get caught and I just felt that losing this match especially having come from behind twice and having had this opportunity to win it yeah. would have been devastating like yeah you know potentially irrevocable damage there um and so I had this anxiety of like we need to find a balance we need to go for it but we must not lose this match and you know there were moments at the other end where I think it was moments, uh, five minutes or so after yeah. Odegaard missed that chance that Villa nearly went up the other end and won it? I know. It's, it's. Um, I mean, from that moment on, from the Odegaard chance on, the game is actually just unbelievably <laughs> exciting and enthralling and like a classic for the neutral. If you're a neutral sitting there watching that, it must have been amazing fun because... It was open. There were chances. The yeah. the moment you talk about, I mean, the the touch from Leon Bailey is on. It's just brilliant. Yeah, it's a brilliant touch from Bailey to sort of pick the ball up and you know keep it in play and turn and drive towards the Arsenal box. It's a great save from Aaron Ramsdale to knock it onto the bar. But Villa also had other moments as well. I think we had a corner and was it Fabio Vieira was um, 
chasing chasing back back and he didn't really engage with the player. And you can see Martin Odegaard shouting at him like, you've got to go, go to the player, go to the player, close him down. The shot wasn't great. It was a fairly routine save for, um, for Ramsdale. But between that, I think there was a chance for Gabriel from a free kick. I think it was Saka who was fouled and Odegaard clipped the ball in. Gabriel headed over the kind of chance that we've seen him take. There was a Saka shot as well, which went straight at, and uh, Emmy Martinez, who there was uh, Gabriel's tackle inside his own penalty oh, area on Bailey as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was fucking all going on. Yeah, it, it was, was. Unai Emery embraced the chaos, you know. Um, yeah, it was. It was really how to skelter stuff and fine, fine margins. You know, if that Bailey shot <laughs> comes off the bar and hits Sam Ramsdale on the head, <laughs> it's a very different day, you know. <laughs> A very ma- different day. Maybe, though, maybe Aaron Ramsdale didn't behave in such a way that the universe decided to he say, He didn't induce hey. that kind of karmic retribution. No, he did not. He did not. I mean, Emmy Martinez was booked in the 83rd minute for for time-wasting. And look... Which is such a cop-out, right? Yeah, it's bullshit. It's like... You're never going to give him a second yellow card in whatever amount of time is left. If a goalkeeper has been doing it since the 30th minute, you need to have a word. I mean, I think there does need to be some enforcement of the six-second rule again. And I I don't know why goalkeepers are permitted to hang on to the ball for as long as they are. Like, we all get it. If you're the team that's ahead, you know bit of shithousery we all get it but it's not just against Arsenal it's every goalkeeper in every game is holding on to the ball for 15 20 seconds at a time and I'll just read this out because someone sent it to me on Twitter Um, I can't find the the name of the person I'm very sorry but they pointed me to a reddit uh, post on the uh, Gunners reddit from Pingu3101 who timed all the um Time wow. wasting, if you like, from Emmy Martinez. And he said, Very you know, grateful he, they did it, so we don't have yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. He went through a number of incidents in the second half. Uh, he said, It's a total of five minutes and 41 seconds of the ball not being in play in the second half alone. He said, One thing to make clear is not all of it is time wasting. There is a six second rule for goal kicks that needs to be taken into con- uh, consideration as uh, time setting up for a goal kick. And he can't find sort of average information on that. But, you know, you're looking at five or six minutes of Emmy Martinez wasting time which you know it happens but then it gets added on at the end and i think you know uh, what i said about the six second rule but also referees need to be a bit more on top of this i mean we saw it in the man city game didn't we ederson was booked was it first half yeah really when, early when a, 35th you know, minute something like that you know so that, that you know if you book a goalkeeper early he can't keep doing it he just can't i think home goalkeepers it. get away with more don't they yeah probably than away goalkeepers where you've got you've got the fans on the referee's case about it. Mm. Um, but I, I, yeah, I remember someone tweeted saying Martinez had just held the ball in his hands for 27 seconds, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was counting it. I was, I was looking at the, I was just looking back at the live blog because it gives me notes, um, you know, for the things that happened. And at one point I've just uh, posted on the live blog, 20 seconds and that's the only update. I think I was trying to make a note somewhere else, but it was Martinez with the, the ball in his hands. I mean, to be fair, I think he did put three successive goal kicks out for a throw-in. <laughs> he did as well. Uh, I enjoyed <laughs> that. was enjoyable. 
But yeah, listen, he got his comeuppance big time. So, I mean, six minutes of injury time yes. went up and I was like, okay, well, maybe, you never know. Um, so so Villa actually have the first big chance of that. So the, the one we're talking about, I forget the name of their new striker who came on. Um, oh, yeah. The guy that they got from MLS. Is that yeah, the fella? Yeah. What's his name? I'll get uh, it for you now. You keep Thank you. you keep so he has his left-footed shot saved. That's the 92nd minute by that point. Duran. Duran. Duran, Duran. That's the 92nd minute that they nearly go and win it. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, um, heart-stopping stuff. It was. But then, but then. Uh, <laughs> something magical happened. Something incredible happened. Something wonderful, something beautiful, where, uh, let me see if I can find this. Uh, I did see this. Uh, where is it now? Uh Calve, who's at Cumbrian Calve on Twitter, says, do we now have conclusive proof that karma is real? After all, Emmy Martinez is shithousing, especially in the World Cup. Karma has come back and kicked him square in the balls with a trifecta of boots. The own goal being caught at the corner and Unai Emery roasting him in his post-match presser. I mean, there is... Whatever history you might have or anyone listening to this might have with Emmy Martinez... There is something just so enjoyable about seeing any player who's been up to shenanigans mm. in a game of football get a bit back in that kind of fashion. You know, it's just objectively extremely funny to see yeah. that happen. Um, but it doesn't happen in isolation. It doesn't happen without us trying to score and getting up the pitch and Martinelli spots the run of Jorginho. I think the technique from Jorginho on the shot is really, really good because it's yeah. a difficult one to hit when the ball is coming across you that way. Smacks it beautifully, hits the bar, hits Emmy Martinez's head and into the back of the net. How long did it take you to start laughing? Because... <laughs> Because at first I was like, yeah, fucking goal. And then when they started showing the replays, honestly, I was just in stitches laughing at, at that because of everything that had happened. It's impossible not to, I don't know how you describe it. Like, what do you call celebrating a goal and, and laughing at the same time? There must be, uh, we need a, a new a football A maniacal phrase. celebration, I guess. Yeah. I, I think... Um, yeah, yeah, obviously, and the, and the BT commentators really scared me by constantly talking about a VAR review, which yeah. I think would have been outrageous, really, given that Jorginho shot. And I think so too. Yeah, I don't, I don't think really. You know, Martinez dives full length for it. I don't think he can argue a that he was unsighted or b that he was ever getting there. Um, but I was over the moon. You know, normally if an if an own goal is scored, particularly in that sort of circumstance it's almost a little bit frustrating. Like you wish Jorginho or whoever it might be could be credited with the goal. I remember Mikel Arteta in his final Arsenal appearance, the final appearance of his playing career, yes. scoring an almost identical goal against the same opponent, Aston Villa. Hit the ball, came off the bar, came down, hit the keeper. And it was sort of, 
really sad that it didn't go down as Arteta's That's goal. That's mad. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So also Aston Villa in 2016. And um, this one, I am more than happy for it to go down as Nevi Martinez's own goal. For sure. For sure. Uh, it's, you know... I, it's it's all the more beautiful because of it. Uh, I'm not I, listen. If Jorginho's shot had gone in off the bar, it would have been an absolutely incredible strike. I think I prefer this version. <laughs> I think I do too. I think I do too. You know, um, he's had plenty to say since he left Arsenal, and plenty yes. to say to to everybody. Look, you know, if that's the kind of character he is, if you're going to dish it out all the time, which he does. You're going to have to take it yeah. when it goes against you. And um, I enjoyed the very perfunctory handshake between himself and uh, and Mikel Arteta at the end as well. Oh, like, really? Yeah, I didn't yeah. catch that. I mean, you know, we have an abrasive character in our own goal. And had that happened to him, I'm sure opposition fans would revel in it. You know, mm -hmm. that's part of the game. Um, but it didn't. It happened to Emmy Martinez. And that's much funnier. <laughs> Um, and I think, yeah, it, I have to be honest, it's a great goal. I mean, it starts from Ramsdale and it's a really nice move. It's sort of classic Arteta stuff up the pitch, down one wing, across. Mm. And I think something that we've been trying to do, um, in the last few weeks, I've sort of noticed it, but not sort of quite, uh, solidified it as a thought in my mind. But I think if you look back at our games against Everton and Brentford, I think there were opportunities where we tried to set mm. for shots from the edge of the box, you know, a bit like the Thomas Partey goals against Spurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he scored one against Forest as well. You know, when teams defend very deep against us, I do think we try and create these moments on the edge of the box and our execution of like the layoffs and the shots just wasn't quite right. And mm. what we saw was a lot of like quite frustrating long shots against Everton and Brentford that we were like, why is this happening? But I do think that it's clearly, you know, it's part of the plan. When teams sit in against you, the space, especially if they're, you know, in two ranks on the edge of their own box, the space is just outside the box. And Zinchenko exploited it and Jorginho did. I mean, it's a brilliant, brilliant hit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just... Absolute perfection from that point on. Oh, but, uh, the, you know, that wasn't the end of things. No. That was not the end of, like, is there a more acute fear in football than the late, late corner that you concede deep, deep, deep into injury time to the point where injury time is actually over, but because you've scored in injury time, there's extra because of the celebrations and, and everything else. That fear, when the opposition are about to take that corner, I think is a very, very, very specific yeah. pit of the stomach. Please, 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 just clear it, just clear it, just get rid of it, just clear it, just, you know, somebody get their head on this, somebody get their head on this, you know, and you can envisage all kinds of ways that the opposition might score a goal. So for that to be something we were facing, you know, you get, you, you get the complete 180 from the fear to the absolute, oh my, I can't believe this, when we've gone up the other end and, and scored a goal that, that seals the game. I mean, it fucking 
does things to you, football, mm-hmm. that that you would not allow anything else to do in your life because, like, why it would, would you? you? It would kill you. Why would you <laughs> d- deliberately subject yourself to stuff that gives you terror? And, like, my heart is going, like, my fucking Garmin watch at one point was probably going, like, it's got a heartbeat monitor in it. It tells you if your heartbeat is abnormal. I'm sure it was banging away, but I was just trying to pay attention to, to what was going on on the screen. Um, Mart- Emmy Martinez went up for the... <laughs> Went up for the for the corner, and well, we cleared it. And from there, it's um, I mean, it's just so much fun to see what happens next. It's amazing, and I have to say, actually, I think we've got to give some credit to Fabio Vieira because mm. you do you do see this scenario of goalkeepers going up relatively. You know, it's it's, it's uncommon, but it happens time to time. It's quite rare that the team actually effectively execute the counter-attack and score. Yeah. I think, you know, because of the game state, there's just a sense of like, just get it clear or to have the composure in that moment to carry the ball, look up, perceive the situation, understand the run that's being made by Martinelli and then bisect the defence and play him through. I think it's a really smart bit of play from Vieira. I agree. I agree. It's a really good pass. He controls it well. He doesn't panic. He doesn't try and shoot himself, you know, which I think might be yeah, tempting for you some Yeah, see player. that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go for the spectacular long one. No, he held it well, timed the pass. I mean, I don't think in all my years of watching football I've ever seen a player celebrate an assist before the player he's given the ball to has even touched the ball to go through to score a goal that he then celebrates himself before the ball hits the back of the net. I've never seen anything like it. No, but I I, I think Vieira, like all of us, was just thinking there probably isn't a player mm-hmm. you'd rather see racing onto that ball than Martinelli. And in fact, earlier in the game, he'd had one where he'd run the length of the pitch. Do you remember? Yeah, he, he just sort of, I think he... He stumbled a little bit, and by the time he played the pass to Eddie, Eddie was caught on his heels a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a brilliant run. And I think actually, like, one of the interesting sort of little subplots uh, that we've got a question about is his impact as a substitute, which Mm. was really substantial. Um, But, yeah, just brilliant. And, like, you know... We were all doing it. We were all we were all Fabio Vieira in that moment, just like watching him race on to set the seal on it. Mm. Fantastic. And yeah, I mean <laughs> I'm the celebrations on both goals were just brilliant too. <laughs> I'm just watching it again. Like v- Vieira's gone full platoon. He's on his knees with his arms up in the air, celebrating before it even gets there. I mean, there are shades of the goal that he scored against Chelsea. In this one, if you remember, it was a Chelsea corner and, yeah. and when uh, Kante slipped and Martinelli went through and scored, obviously you had to beat the it's, it's easier when there's no goalkeeper. Yeah, it is a little bit easier. It is a little bit easier. I think um, I'd fancy myself for that finish, although I'm not sure I would have had the uh, the pace to streak away from the from the defenders. There is know. an angle of it somewhere where you sort of see Emmy Martinez's fl- like desperate attempt to get back and he, yeah. he kind of gives up around the halfway line. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sheepishly walks back into his own goal. Yeah, this is when Saka basically <laughs> he overtakes him um, <laughs> to make the sprint to get in. To get in, I mean, just amazing, amazing. And this is what I mean about 
football as this this thing that surprises you, that gives you something that you couldn't predict, you couldn't expect in seconds. You know, like we live through 90 minutes, 90 minutes plus of football every week, twice, three times a week. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, what happens is relatively mundane, but it's these three or four second bits of magic that keep us all coming back and and what happened at the end of that game is just is unbelievable i did enjoy the the celebrations um for the second and third goals obviously um granite third, Sha- and, fourth. Uh, third yeah. and fourth yeah granite shaka being involved in the huddle for the third goal when he'd been taken off and substituted by that point was <laughs> was really brilliant and there's a great a little bit of audio, which is kind of hard to hear. I'm going to play it here when Gabrielle is celebrating and he lets out this big, like, fucking hell, and then a big scream. So I'll just play it here. Um, He's to the top of the table, and Arsenal have come to Villa Park today, and they've shown the character of... And Arsenal have come to Villa Park today, and they've shown the character of... That's great. I think there's also, um, I saw Gabriel Martinelli retweeted it, but there's a little clip where you can see him out like, screaming, this is Arsenal, um, as he bangs his chest. Shaka, uh, absolutely incredible how he infiltrates the pitch, just runs across it. I mean, shouldn't I mean, he be wearing a bib or something because he's been taken off? Was yeah, he wearing a bib? He may and have did been he... booked. I think he may have been booked really? for it. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can find any evidence, but I f- have a feeling he was shown a yellow card for, yeah, he was. He was. <laughs> for running onto the pitch and celebrating. I mean, it was it was pure passion, but I like to think there was a bit of cynicism about it too. Because mm. if you watch what happens, he basically holds everyone in the huddle to eat up more of the clock. Um, so I, I wonder if he was like, you know, <laughs> just basically trying to eat up time as well. Um <laughs> Amazing stuff. And, you know, Aaron Ramsdale, I think, just goes off towards the bench. There's one huddle in the corner flag with all the players, and then there's another crazy one uh, on the subs bench, which I think Ramsdale goes over to. There was, of course, we had a lot of questions about the row in the press box. Um, Yeah, we did, actually. There was – let me see if I can find one of them here uh, to put it to you. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Josh, who's at <laughs> Josh's user two four three three five three two two one three on Twitter, uh, and usually you don't um, get those kinds of questions from uh, people with those kinds of usernames. But Josh <laughs> says there were reports of a scuffle between Arsenal and Aston Villa analyst after Emmy Martinez's flying header. But I was wondering if James was working at the time and saw any of the sort. But you weren't working at the game. I wasn't. But I, wasn't. I mean, my sources tell me. <laughs> that uh yes essentially arsenal especially when they're traveling um will use the press box for their video analysis so mm-hmm. they'll you know uh, they have guys watching the game and they'll if there's things that they want to clip up and use in a halftime team talk for example they have the facility to do that um and they're in dialogue with the bench about that so uh, they're there in the press box. And I think Villa obviously had their guys there too. And I, you know, obviously being Arsenal uh, <laughs> guys, 
it seems like they really went for the celebrations. They're, They're the yeah. only guys in the press box who really are allowed to celebrate. Well, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I mean, you probably even shouldn't. There is a sort of protocol, isn't there, in the press box that Sure, but come on, it bounced off Emmy Martinez's head, Andrew. <laughs> They're only human. Exactly. How could they not? How could they not? Uh, press box uh, or otherwise, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think it went down too well with their Villa counterparts. But um, who can blame them? Had I been there? There's no doubt I would have been uh, in the mix. You would have uh, fucking got in the middle of that ruck, sorted it all out. I think I would have been on the pitch with Granite Xhaka, to be honest. <laughs> Keeping everyone in the huddle. You, um, you would have got booked, though. That's the only yeah, thing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, amazing stuff. And, for yeah, for the second season in succession, these beautiful scenes at Villa Park at full time. Yeah. Um, I mean, different from, different from last season because we were kind of hanging on, but... Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much good stuff as well that I'm sure people over the weekend have consumed all the, you know, all the stuff. Martin Keown in the BT Sports Studio. That's great, yeah. Isn't it? I mean, it's a, is it like a tiny, tiny studio? Like, is it five foot uh, high? Like, is it because he's bending down? How did Peter he's, Crouch even get in there? They must have. That's a good question. I think they, they sit him and Martin Keown and they build it around them. <laughs> Uh, and they're trapped there forever. It's all right for Joe Cole. He's he's quite small. He can just uh, yeah, wander through. It, it, it was, yeah, brilliant stuff. I mean... Keown Wrighty, you know, Ian uh, doing his stuff on, on TV as well. Really? <laughs> I mean, it, it, this season has given us some great moments. You know, you think of that late goal, those late goals rather. You think of Eddie Nketiah against Manchester United as another kind of stoppage time winner. Mm. Um, there may be others, but if you're going to win a league or, or or fight for a league, you absolutely need moments like that. Yeah, because not every game is going to go according to plan, and it's um, you know, things that we talk about like character and determination and all these things that you can't measure mm. in a team. Statistically, you can't. You know, there's no. XC for character or whatever it might be, but you know when it's there. And I don't know. Let's go back to some of the, some of the, as much as I loathe giving Manchester United any credit for anything, right? Particularly the Manchester United that we were so competitive with and rivals with down the years. There is something to be said for a dressing room or players on the pitch or your perception as a club, as as a team that won't give up and will keep going until the final stages of a game, because you just never know. You just don't know what can happen. I think there is probably a a, a correlation between late goals or late winners or late saves and the kind of characters that you have in your dressing room. You know, leave, <laughs> leaving aside the quality of the players, which of course is a big part of it. You know, there are players who, you know, you look at in this Arsenal team that you would back to do something in the final stages of a game compared to some players in the past, in the not-too-distant past maybe, who who you wouldn't have had that faith in. No, I think that's true. Fergie time was a real phenomenon, you know, and, and part of that was the pointing at the watch and the additional minutes mm. that would get added on. But that's that's barely half the battle. You still have to capitalise on that time. You mm. still have to make something happen. And United really did have that capacity for a long time. Mm. Um, and it's a really encouraging sign that we're seeing it from Arsenal. Arteta's talked about it. You know, you have to be able to win it in the 94th minute. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy, isn't it, that 
these 90-minute games can come down to the actions of a few seconds. Or mm. Certainly, this, this match could have been decided either way in stoppage time. Shows you the knife edge that you, you're you on uh, in the Premier League. I guess that's what makes it so incredibly captivating. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it's gone. When it goes against you, it feels like it exacerbates all of your flaws. Mm-hmm. When it goes for you, you feel like it exacerbates all your your best qualities, you know? Yeah. Um, and it it is like the difference between, I don't know, you, you think about what Erling Haaland did this weekend. Yeah. You know, what is what are the odds of him, of all people, putting the ball over the bar from six or seven yards with the goal at his mercy? You know, I mean, this is potentially, or that could potentially be the difference between, you know, a title or not a title. And I know there's a long way to go, but, but those kind of moments... They just happen in football, regardless of um, how good you are or how good you aren't. You know, you can get the rub of the green or you can be absolutely cursed with, with bad luck in a game. A game you deserve to win, a game you have all the shots in, but somehow you, you don't win, you know? It's just, it's just what makes football so amazing. Um, because if it was completely predictable, none of us would bother. But it no. isn't, and here we are. And, La- I mean, laughing at Emmy Martinez. <laughs> and the stats from the Man City game are extraordinary. They had 73% possession. They had 23 shots to Nottingham Forest's four. <laughs> Nottingham Forest had one shot on target from which they scored in the 84th minute. I mean, some of the opportunities City failed to take in this game. Unreal. I, I was reading Sam Lee, you cover City for the Athletic. I was reading his tweets and he was saying... You know, he was basically saying Forest are going to score here because City have just missed so many chances that it's inevitable. Yeah, yeah, it feels inevitable, uh, and so it, so it proved. And yeah, really, really. I mean, it, City did not play badly; they played really well, mm. but they just missed a hatful of chances. Um, that was the know. the icing on the cake that we had baked at Villa Park. Yeah, and I had no expectations of that no. at all. Like, I thought, this is a great result for Arsenal against Villa. Puts us back on course. We go top for a few hours. Mm. Everyone feels a bit better about life. And, you know, we attack the league again from here. Yeah. Yeah. When I found, when I heard that Forrest had scored an equaliser, I mean, I was like, wow. I know. I was out on Saturday evening. I'd gone out. um, We were going out for dinner, but we were having a drink in a bar before dinner and um, they were showing the Leeds Everton game. Right. And what a goal from Seamus Carl. <sighs> holy way. shit. We were sitting there and all of a sudden my phone started going, you know, must've got about seven or eight uh, WhatsApps in about 20 seconds, all about yeah. the Nottingham Forest goal. Yeah. Amazing. Cause I mean that, that will just tell you how how ridiculous football can be and how you know we can be lifted from a place where after the city game even if you're trying to see the positives in the way that we played and what we restricted city to in terms of possession and all that kind of stuff of course you don't get any points for that but you're looking for positives you're seeking to keep confidence high and and everything else but you can't help but feel a little like oh fuck 
you know, what's going to happen here? And this feels like, this feels like the kind of shit city have done season after season after season. Maybe they don't look their best and they come to life and then they just sort of steamroll their way to the title. And we do what we do at Villa Park. And then that happens to them. And it's like, whoo, flip, just Mm -hmm. a flip in terms of mood and everything else. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, crazy. I mean, yeah, crazy. And and look, don't get me wrong. No one's saying those weren't costly points that we dropped prior to this. And um, we could be in a, a better position than we are now. But we are in a better position mm. than we were Thursday. So That is for sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it was a, a goodly morning indeed. <laughs> All right. Will we take a little break? I think we should get some questions in. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. We'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member. On Patreon, James, some breaking news mm. as we uh, as we took our little break. Yes, some breaking news uh, via Cy Collings of the Evening Standard. The FA are looking into scenes in the press box at Villa Park on Saturday after analysts from Arsenal and Aston Villa clashed. Wow. Um, I was going to. I just said to you before we start recording. I think we might be relegated before uh, Manchester City, uh, <laughs> based on the way these respective disciplinary issues are being handled. I said this in the blog today. We've had more FA charges this season than Tottenham have had trophies in the last sixty years. <laughs> well, listen, <laughs> our best teams and most successful teams have had a few FA charges in their times. That's so, true. That's true. And actually. Sorry, uh, that that sort of leads me to a good first question here because I was going to ask you this one, but seeing as we're on this, it's sort of related to this. It comes from Prakash Narayan, who's at Tryan underscore 11. And he says, goodly morning. 
Arteta's touchline exuberance and the team's not going to take it lying down approach on the pitch and obviously off the pitch and in the press box is a telling sign that we are developing an edge. It's riling up all the media and opposition fans, which is amazing. Is this the X factor? I mean, do you think this is a team and a club that is de- uh, developing a bit of an edge? Uh, I the, the sort of edge I think that you absolutely need because it comes from how competitive you are and how much you want to win. I think definitely there is an edge there. Um, and maybe, as you suggest, the disciplinary charges are associated. I do find that the sort of discussion of Arteta's touchline demeanour uh, an interesting one because, you know, there does seem to be a lot of focus on it. But if you watch Pep or Klopp or Conte, uh, on the sidelines. Mm. I'm not sure the way they carry themselves is markedly different. Um, I also think that having such a young team, Arteta almost shoulders more responsibility. I think there's a lot that he kind of takes on for the players and shields the players from as well with the way he handles the media in certain situations um, that maybe other managers aren't as obliged to do. But mm. I, there is a sort of counter argument, and I was chatting to a mate of mine in the week who's a Spurs fan, and he was saying, "Oh, I think you know City will win the league." I was like, "Yeah, surprise, surprise." But he, I said, "Why?" And he said, "Oh, because I think he said I feel like Arsenal have expended, they expend huge emotional energy um, early in the season, and I just don't think it's sustainable." And I and I. Uh, literally, this came from a Spurs fan, but I, I do think that it's an interesting discussion. Like, there is a lot of emotional energy around Arsenal. I've said for a long time, it's an emotional team and an emotional manager. And you see that in the positive moments so clearly, and it's fantastic, and it's why we all connect with it. But it must also be exhausting, I, I hmm. wonder. And I, I just wonder how, well, it may not be, it may be energising, but I do, I can see that there could be a sort of cumulative cost of these big emotional high points. Can you sustain that for, mm. you know, the eight months of a full season? Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe you don't get all the positive moments without expending that energy, though. That's maybe yeah, where, yeah. where it comes from. So... I can sort of see the point, and I guess part of it, I think anyway, part of it, you mentioned Klopp, you mentioned Pep, you mentioned Conte. I think what they are, are experienced managers with pretty experienced teams. Yeah. Whereas we are perceived as, mm, this might sound like a pejorative in a way, but immature and I think that feeds into a lot of the media coverage because we're young. It's easy to criticize the youngest manager in the league. It's easy to criticize the youngest team in the league. Whereas I think if you are a little further down the line, people don't 
look at you in the same way. And I think that's part and parcel of, of what this is. And I have to say, I, I like, for example, and we'll talk about Saka now in a moment because I'm sure you've got a question there about it too. But that moment where he was fouled in the, the end of the first half by Coutinho, nasty foul, deliberate foul, and he stood up and he stood up for himself. Mm-hmm. But the Arsenal players were there as well. The Arsenal players were around him and got stuck in, you know, only as a, a protective measure. No doubt there'll be another FA charge for that before the end of the podcast. But I like that because I can remember in the past, you would see something happen to an Arsenal player and there'd be nobody. There would be nobody in sight. There'd be nobody backing him up, nobody having his back. Um, I can actually think of one really, really good one, um, which was when I think it was Jordan Henderson took out Mikel Arteta at Anfield with an elbow. I think he did he knock his tooth out or something like that or was that a different yeah. game i can't remember but anyway he like knocked arteta out and arteta was flattened and there was basically no reaction from the arsenal team and i think what we're seeing and part of the the edge if you want to call it that is it comes from the togetherness it comes from the determination of this group as a collective to win football matches and to continue improving and to continue fighting for this title. Because if you really, really care, it maybe gets a bit feisty sometimes. Whereas if I, I, you're yeah, I agree. if you're a bit like, well, you know, we've lost again. I, you know, I'll go home and have a nice meal and come into training on Monday in my nice car and it'll be all fine. You know, I think there is something to that. I don't think you can be a title winning team without having a bit of an edge. And people talk all the time about City and how, how well they play, how technical they are, and they are, but they're cynical as well. They have <laughs> I, all I, of that as well, you know? I think that's true. And in terms of Arteta's role in it, you know, the degree to which a manager is able to influence what happens on the pitch um, is debatable, but he obviously prepares for it to the optimum. I mean, he's he's like Guardiola in that, and and Arsenal. I think to the extent that he barely eats uh, <laughs> on a match day. You know, yeah, he yeah. prepares like an athlete and all this stuff. And he, one of his buzz, you know, phrases is uh, transmitting energy. You know, for him, it's all about can what can he do to mm. transmit energy to his team. And I think a lot of what we see from him, yeah, is his attempts to signal to his players what he expects um he he you know he tries to live the game at the same intensity that they do mm. which results in some pretty amusing moments such as the one the other day where <laughs> the referee said the ball was rolling and not to I mean, well, the ref- be, if the FA don't look at that, I'd be very surprised. <laughs> I mean, the referee said the ball was rolling after we made about four or five passes. I know. I mean, yeah. I can completely understand his his frustration. Um but that's but, but, but yeah the the counter side to it and something i am just intrigued by is like how sustainable is that you know um at the end of last season i think we looked physically weary but and it's impossible to know this but i, I sort of had the sense that we were also quite emotionally drained and yeah, I just I, I I'm I, if they can keep this level of kind of emotional intensity mm. going until May, 
then that will be some feat. And and I think Arteta is the guy, along with some key players, who's sort of at the heart of generating that. Mm, competitive dad, isn't he, you know? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> very much so. Um, well, you mentioned Saka. I mean, mm. uh, Tom, the vacuous tweeter, uh, at Vacuous Tom said... Don't do yourself Oh, no, sorry. Tom. That's a different question. I did enjoy this question, which said, after Saturday Screamer and Man the Match performance, what do we think the chances are of uh, you getting Mr. Tumnus on the back of your next Arsenal shirt? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. Maybe I will. We'll see if we see win if, the league. If we win the league, I'll get a shirt with Mr. Tumnus on it as well as that <laughs> fucking tattoo I said I've got to get. By the end of this season, I'll have to get like all kinds of, I don't know, tattoos and shirts yeah. and piercings. and. Fucking... You'll look a different man. If only I had some hair, I could dye my hair a different color as well. Yeah. Uh, but the question I meant to ask uh, was from the more prosaically named Les. Uh, who's at 537smith, and Les says, Goodly morning, guys. Are Saka's ankles made of vibranium? Uh, We have to hope so, don't we? We do have to hope so, because uh, he took a hell of a kicking in this game. He took a hell of a kicking. Um, I mean, when a player has his boot studded off the back of his Achilles... And it sort of spins across the pitch, and the referee just sort of plays on. Mm. You've you've got to ask some questions. I know this is like a a topic that we've discussed before. I think we talked about it the other day, didn't we? When we talked about how Arsenal give the ball differently to Pakayo Saka, so he's more side on. He's not always with his back to the defender because the defender just sort of comes through and steams him out of it, and yeah. can do so with impunity because. You know, too often he doesn't get a, a free kick for all the many fouls that that uh, are perpetrated on him. Um, but he can't always do that. So there were a couple of moments where, you know, he does have his back to goal. He was taken out. I mentioned the Coutinho foul. I think that was nasty. I can't believe that Saka got booked for that and Coutinho didn't. He should have got booked for that, for that actual foul. And it's hard not to worry, isn't it? It's hard not to worry when you see him go down... 10 minutes into the second half and he requires some lengthy treatment and basically the treatment is, well, here's a bit more strapping for your ankle. Well, um, uh, well, I mean, f- fair play to the physio. That was good strapping as far as strapping yeah. goes. Like it did seem to really help. I mean, I think I was probably like many Arsenal fans watching thinking, I'm not sure he should be carrying on here. Mm. Um, I was worried, but then I was also worried about like, well, what do we do? What do we do without him? What do we do without Bakayo Saka? Okay, you can bring on Reese Nelson. You can bring on Smith Rowe. Maybe Martinelli, of course, could play on the right too. But, you know, he is so important to this team because of what he produces and how he produces it. And, you know, maybe there's a sort of perception that he's this this quiet, nice kid, you know? But I think we're starting to see him develop a bit more of a personality is the wrong word but like he isn't going to take it anymore no i mean he gives a bit back i mean you know he made quite a bad foul in this game um do you know remember the one i mean yeah on moreno where he won the ball but then followed through yeah yeah and you know he was just a bit spiky in a couple of confrontations he's been like that most of the season actually and i think it's an important part of his evolution um and i i it is a tricky balancing act for the manager, isn't it? In terms of, I think he really doesn't want this to get into Saka's 
head. Yeah. I, I think he really, really wants to avoid a kind of persecution complex. Um, and so he's very sort of like straightforward about it. You know, well, it's his game. He's got to get used to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he said he, it'll happen in training. And look, Saka's not the only skillful player who gets fouled and fouled a lot because, you know, if you're a skillful attacking player, sometimes you're facing defenders who who can't live with you. So the way to stop you is to kick you or, you know, especially early in games, you know, where a defender will leave one on and it's like, okay, fancy a bit more of that? Come run at me and I'll, I'll do that to you again. So I, I, I completely get what he's saying. And I think there's merit to that. You know, don't be perceived as soft. Mm -hmm. Don't look for special protection. You're but, only going to be more targeted probably yeah. in, in that eventuality. But I think we as fans, particularly as Arsenal fans, but England fans will have noticed this during the World Cup as well, that uh, he gets fouled a lot and doesn't get the fouls that, that he needs. You know, there's... um. It's there interesting. Are, I've, I, I've tried to quantify it. You know, I've I've done quite a lot of research um, looking at the numbers, and in terms of pure fouls, he doesn't figure especially highly. So it's like, so what are we seeing? Is it the fact that we're seeing fouls not awarded? Mm. Uh, I think that's part of it. But is it also the type of challenges and maybe the lack of uh, appropriate punishment, so bookings and things like that. Yeah, and I think in, uh, you see other tackles get punished on other players way more than Bakayo Saka. You yeah, know? it does seem it. It does definitely seem that way. Um, I'm sure at some point they'll make me watch every tackle on Bakayo Saka in the season to to figure out the, the truth. But it, yeah, it's. It's a, as I say, it's a tricky balance between protecting the player's psychology and mentality and protecting mm. him physically, mm -hmm. and that's what Arteta has to try and figure out. I think because, I mean, he does. I hate even saying this stuff out loud, but he he is quite physically robust, Saka. Like, clearly, he's a guy who gets kicks. Like, there's no way he doesn't come into matches carrying knocks and bruises sure. and you know feeling sore from what happened in the past game but his ability to play through that is pretty impressive i agree i agree i mean like we just said we were worried about him in the 53rd minute and in the 98th minute he is sprinting down the pitch to go celebrate with gabriel martinelli yeah you know physically he is uh, astonishing you know he's remarkable at mm. that age how durable how consistent his stamina you know he's amazing he's a machine but we do worry about him because he's so important as well mm. fingers crossed um frankie underscore fez on the discord says what did you make of unai emery's comments regarding emmy martinez taking it upon himself to time waste uh not time waste but to go up for the corner he seems to have shown himself to be quite a difficult personality to work with yeah i thought that was really interesting on Twitter, Neil Shannon, oh, sorry, Niall Shannon, sorry, Niall, said, what's your opinion on sending up a keeper for a last-minute equaliser? Do you agree with Unai saying to stay back to prevent a goal? It's, I guess it's to do with what's at stake 
Um, I mean, I kind of feel like it's quite, if that's what Emery really thinks, it's quite illustrative, indicative of him as a guy and a coach that he's like, well, I'd rather lose three two than four two. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like he's got to go for it, and not going for it was often one of the criticisms levelled at him in his time at Arsenal. And actually, you can look at this game. Oh, it's uh, a very, it's a very United Emery second half, isn't it? It was quite familiar. Yeah, mm. I think in terms of sort of having a lead but withdrawing into it, you know, rather than assert being assertive. He, he was uh, saying after the game that Villa weren't sufficiently protagonists. And, I mean, that was basically the primary theme of his mm. time at Arsenal. But but in this in the case of this Martinez thing, I have to be honest and say, it really felt like there was a lot more to his comments. Um, yeah. Reading between the lines. What did uh, he say at the end as he was going off? Like he said, he knows now. He knows now. He knows for his now. career. Yeah, for the good of his career, he knows. For his career. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, uh, that is done with love, you know. Um, um, but I mean, yes. I, I, I think I would want my goalkeeper to go up in that scenario because, you know, maybe you lose 4-2. Um, He's just scored with his head at one end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's you, you, know, already you take one look at the way, tuck that chance away and you think, <laughs> right. I'm full of confidence now. I could well, buy another is, one. He has got sort of... Um, main character syndrome, maybe Martinez. Do you know what I mean? Like it's very fitting with his personality. Yeah. They'd be like, I know, I will save the day. Um, but I think, you know, it, it does seem like him and Emery don't get along great. I mean, he was very, very hard, like very clear on what he thought about that. Mm. And, I, and as I say, I'm not sure the football justification is that logical. Like, I think I think it seemed like there was more to it reading between the lines. And and one of the arguments for selling Emmy when Arsenal did, I think everyone recognised he had quality and he'd been amazing in that short period. But one of the f- factors in the club's decision was that it was felt that he wasn't someone who you could keep around if he wasn't going to play. You know, like he, mm. he wasn't, um, he'd made it pretty clear that he would be quite unhappy with anything but playing. And so, and I, and I don't think he's got a personality that you could just kind of subsume into a squad easily. Um, obviously, he is playing at Villa. But in the week before this game, he came out and said, oh, I want to be playing in the Champions League. Did know? he? I think, yeah, apparently so. So I do wonder if that may have factored into... I mean, you might as well just say, I want to leave, because that's not happening at Aston Villa. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and, and and Emery was asked about it in his pre-match press conference and was like, well, I, you know, my focus is on Aston Villa and I hope we can win a trophy here and go on to achieve being in Europe maybe in the future. So I do wonder how heavily that weighed in Emery's mind mm. post-game. Um you know, Martinez has had a fantastic couple of years and he's gone and won the World Cup and maybe he thinks there is a move for him this summer. Um, we shall see. Mm. We shall see. But, uh, yeah, he's he's an, inter- he's an interesting character, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the game, I think, is, is honestly, like, it's very homogenous at times and there are very... Footballers are kind of of a type and I do think... 
that the game is better for having big personalities in it. Whether you like them or not. Yeah. yeah, Whether you like them or not. Exactly. It's richer. Uh, We get to thoroughly enjoy his own goal, for example. We sure do. Um, This was good from Simon, who's at uh, SHS Harrington. Simon says, should the club fine Martinelli for not dribbling the ball onto the goal line before heading it in? (laughs) Is it that lack of killer instinct which will ultimately come back to bite us? Yeah, we had a similar one as well. Uh, Dan Jay, who's at the last bean, said, as kids, we've all scored and celebrated a Martinelli no-keeper goal before. If you could score one now at the Emirates, what would your pre-celebration be? Um, I mean, I wouldn't do the pre-celebration, but I do think the stopping the ball on the line, kneeling down and heading it over is just... (laughs) I mean, at this level, you'd probably get your head kicked off your shoulders in yeah. doing it but you'd love to see it wouldn't you you'd love to oh, see man. it oh man i yeah of course why not um, i mean it, we we also had a question from afc monty who's at monty underscore official underscore who said it was quite funny to see the reaction of ex-players and one particular villa legend get so worked up about martinelli celebrating his goal before he even scored he said it's disrespectful to fellow teammates, what are your thoughts on this? I know mine. Laughy, laughy emoji. Um, well, that was funny. I mean, it, I think Agbon Lahore um, chose his words wrong because, yeah, he, he said, I, I, didn't, I didn't like uh, the Martinelli thing. Mm. And he said, it's disrespectful to your teammates. And I was like, no, it's I not. Don't, I don't think it is. I think it's disrespectful to the opposition, maybe. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I think that's absolutely fine. He's got an open goal. You know, it's, I I don't care. (laughs) No, I don't, I don't care either, but I don't, I don't really see how anyone thinks it's disrespectful. You know, he's, he's in a huge moment in a season. He knows he's going to score. He knows no one's going to catch him. He's got an open goal. He's having a little bit of a celebration, you know, and I, I just, it's another example of how people try to police the fun stuff out of football. You know, you just talked about big personalities. Yeah. You know, and how, look, for better or worse, they do bring something. They add color to the game and the discussions and the coverage and the debates and all of that kind of stuff. And the idea that somebody could get outraged by a 21-year-old footballer racing through to score his first goal in a while, right? First goal Mm -hmm. since before the World Cup, I think. Um you know, so he's been through a bit of a difficult period and there were a lot of questions about, you know, his form. He lost his place because Trossard started. You know, the idea that you should then tut-tut and sort of, hello, 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 what's happening here then? Like the celebration police, as we've talked about before. It's just, it's too much. It's too much. Let people enjoy things. And if other people don't enjoy the things that those people are enjoying... Well, tough shit. That's life. That's what happens, you know? 100%. And if you hate it that much, you should have caught him. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Shouldn't have this? retired, I mean, Agbon Lahore. You could have been on that pitch. Could have hacked him down on halfway. He was. Uh, <laughs> that was it. That was that was all he was. But, um, okay. It is a sort of different tack. WMD Gunner says, uh, since it's easier to discuss following a win, 
Why does Arteta refuse to trust more than 13 to 14 players in his squad? Despite the fact we spent lots of money assembling a squad of 18 to 20 players, all of whom are his, he still doesn't seem to trust them. Uh, goes on. Uh, with the game changing, can he be a truly elite manager if he plays the same 11 for 90 minutes across all competitions? Seems like a recipe for players to break down through fatigue and or injury. I mean, I sort of get it. But at the same time, we can use five subs now. Mm. Previously, you could only use three. It didn't mean that you didn't trust all the players. It just meant that maybe sometimes the context of a game or whatever else, you know, doesn't lend itself to using a particular player. Mm. Um, some of your subs are just there for cover in case a player gets injured. That's the reality. You know, on a lot of benches, you know, it's basically these guys are cover for your first team. They're not really first team options. And I think what we have done or have seen at least is that Trossard has started. Uh, Jorginho yeah. started. Because, you know, Partey's been injured, but Jorginho started and played well and obviously had a, a great assist for Emi Martinez's goal. Um, there are going to be other players who can come back in and push a little bit. Fabio Vieira is starting to come in a bit more regularly and make a little bit more of an impact. Mm -hmm. Emil Smith-Rowe will be back and he'll come into the side. Gabriel, see him in the squad again. Yeah, Gabriel Jesus, when he's back in the squad you know, means that he and Eddie and Kedia can share a bit of duties or we can, you know, so that will start to expand a little bit. So I don't really think it's a case that, you know, he doesn't trust certain players. It's just the reality that certain players are better than others and that's why they're starting every week. Like, what do you do after William Saliba has a difficult game against Ivan Tony for your next game? Do you bring in Rob Holding? No. You know, you don't. So it really is about, I said this, you know, on the blog during the week, there's a measure of evolution to the squad, to the squad building, where we are raising the level across, uh, across the squad. But you also have to accept that when certain players are fit, they're going to play. And that doesn't just apply to Arsenal. Um, I agree there could maybe be a little bit of a better balance between consistency of selection and, and varying things up a little bit. But I feel like we're in a better position to do this, a better place to do this now than we have been anyway. Yes, I think, you know, I think when City came and beat us and you look at the depth in their squad, I think that does kind of tell you what's required at the very highest level, you know, their bench when they played us had Bill Foden on it, for example. Mm. Uh, Akanji played almost every league game for them. Calvin Phillips, Laporte, big, expensive marquee players, really. Um, and there's a real... Uh, and to be fair, they're not as deep in quality as they were a year ago because uh, they've lost Cancelo, they've lost Sinchenko, they've lost Jesus. But I do think there's an interesting discussion about in game, so so I so I think long term we need to build out the squad, and I think we sure. still I think we know that right. Um, if we win the league with a bench that regularly features, you know, Amario Koja Dubri and Reese Nelson, we've done well. Mm. Uh, but in game, I find it fascinating. I mean, Emery made five changes by about. 
78th minute, right? So at one point in the game, he had made five subs to Arsenal's one. And I was watching that and thinking, is there a necessity for us to make changes purely to live with that physically? Like they've changed half their outfield team Mm -hmm. for fresh legs with 20 minutes to go. I do think as the season wears on, like, are we not going to... And, you know, it really nearly worked for them. Like, Leon Bailey was one of those subs and was a real threat and very nearly scored. And Duran nearly scored as well by running in behind at a point in the game where we'd had guys on the pitch for 70, 80 minutes, 90 minutes. They were knackered and these guys were fresh. When your opponent makes as many changes as that, and I'm not saying they were successful, is there almost a physical necessity for Arteta to make more changes. I think that's very interesting, yeah. I think that's an interesting point. The you know, freshness we made five legs. in the end, but two of those were in the 95th minute. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the Emery subs and it just, you know, I know Bailey had an impact, but it just felt a bit like, right, I'll put two on, I'll put two on, shift around the team. They were definitely fresh legs substitutions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather than tactical he brought all his attackers off, yeah, for fresh legs. Yeah. Um, but I mean, from a from a from our perspective on that, you don't really sub your centre halves either. Maybe you can do it with the fullbacks, and we did it on one side with with Tommy Asu coming on for Ben White. Yeah. Uh, Tierney got on in the end, but it was you know it was at three two I think at that point wasn't it so. You know, maybe that's where you can do a little bit better. But I think he was looking at what the team were doing from an attacking perspective to try and win the game and didn't necessarily want to upset that. But yeah, yeah. It, might, it might be a thing. It might be just something that develops over time where when teams are making five subs, particularly in the last 15, 20 minutes, you might have to react a little bit to that, but it depends again on a manager who who might think, well, you know, we have to focus more on what we're doing than what the opposition are doing, unless, you know, it sparks a huge change in the way that the the game goes. And actually you could probably talk a little bit about Bernardo Silva moving forward against Man City mm-hmm. and how that changed uh, the game a bit from City's perspective. Could we have done something tactically or from the bench that might have countered that? So, But I think... Um... I do think more, I think broadly this was a victory for the depth and the squad. I think if you look at the fact that, you know, White and Tomiyasu shared the game, uh, Jorginho came in and I have to say, I thought on the ball was really, really good. Um, If you look at pretty much every chance Arsenal created in this match, the penultimate pass is from him. Um, Did really well for the first goal as well, didn't he? There was a little sort of swivel or something to keep the ball and moved it out to to Ben White, I think. Yeah, Um, I I think, you know, I can understand questions physically and, you know, you might look at the first and Villa's first couple of goals and say, you know, does Thomas Partey help us in those situations? Potentially, yes. Mm. Um, But in terms of his ability on the ball, you know, he's, he's... He's, he's clearly very good. And I thought his, his passing was uh, very strong. But, you know, Vieira came on, made a contribution. I think it's interesting that Martinelli, probably Martinelli's two best performances of the last month or so have come as 
a substitute. So I think mm. of the cup tie at the Etihad and then uh, this game. And unless you sign Trossard, you just can't really do that, you know? So uh, I think this was a game where I was actually quite encouraged about um, the squad options. Um but yeah, I'm just intrigued by that scenario where someone makes five changes. You know, how do you mm. respond to that? Do you and, and Arteta ultimately got it right on the day, so fair play. I mean, we have seen him bring on defensive subs at, at times as well in a game that yeah. we've been leading the last ten minutes. The Rob Holding thing, we haven't seen a lot of that um, this season because uh, you know I think we've we've tried to do things in a slightly different way, maybe yeah. a bit be a bit more positive in our in our substitutions um let's do a couple of quick ones to finish out because we've got to get this uh queen gooner who's at so far says eddie and Ketia discuss i saw a lot of chat about eddie and you know the the chance he missed the one that hit the bar um a lot of talk you know in a game that ultimately finished well for arsenal but maybe where the lack of a goal from a centre forward could have been the difference as well. You know, some of the chances that we had. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about Eddie and and what he's doing? Strikes me like he really badly just needs a goal because there can be no, to my mind anyway, no question about the effort. But um, when your centre forward doesn't score for a few games, people will always always ask questions. Definitely. And I think he was a bit unlucky in this game. You know, I thought it was a really good header that he hit the bar with. Um, I think he did take a, you know, his second touch on that one-on-one, which played through Odegaard wasn't great. Should have had an assist though mm-hmm. uh, for the captain. I think his second half was better than his first. I think that's true of everyone pretty much. Uh, I'm kind of all right with him. I, I, you know, Arteta clearly really believes in him and thinks that, that's the right way to go. I, I think he does need a goal. Um, one thing I'll say is he's still getting the chances. And I think we've learned with strikers over time that that is a good sign. Mm. It's when, you know, that's kind of was the difference between Aubameyang and Lacazette, right? Aubameyang might have games where he missed chances, things didn't go his way. But for the majority of his Arsenal career, he was still getting in those positions, you know, and, and that was what was encouraging. And Lacazette, you know, the problem with him was it just felt like chances didn't come his way. Mm. Um, Eddie is still taking up the right positions. He's still making the right runs. And I think on balance, that will average out to getting back scoring goals again soon. Um, but sooner would be much preferable to later. Yes, for sure. Um, Saka Magic on the Discord said, do we need a new category of win to go alongside the morale-boosting fuck-off win that Amy Lawrence... Uh, always talks about Some, something for when the opposition isn't a top top team but the win has the same potential galvanizing effect I'm thinking the fuck you win <laughs> well that would be appropriate for this game wouldn't it mm. um, fuck you win yeah I'll take that I'll take that I'll file, file this under that for mm. sure um, I had a, a couple of questions about this particular thing okay. I don't know if it's just too much being made of it, but Louis said lots of people are commenting on Kieran Tierney's apparent lack of enthusiasm for our fourth goal and his disengagement with the team. Do you think Mikel Arteta's selection choices in recent games are fair or affecting him? I'd say he's hating it. Mm. I'd say he hates being on the bench. 
Because, yeah. like, at Celtic, he was first choice all the time. At Arsenal, he came in, he was first choice, you know, because he was such a big step up on the previous options that we had at, at left back. Um, he's fit and he's not playing, so I'm sure he's not happy or disgruntled or whatever. The question is, like, would you worry if, you know, tomorrow if Zinchenko got an injury, would you worry about Kieran Tierney's um, professionalism or his commitment or his uh, desire to come in and do a good job in the team? No. And, I, and, he, and to I be wouldn't. honest, even in his 90 seconds on the field or wherever it was, he had a couple of good defensive moments, yeah. I seem to recall. Yeah. Um, at the back post and stuff. So... I'm sure he does feel a little bit disconnected. I'm sure he wishes he was playing more. Um, I think and hope there will be chances for him between now and the end of the season. I, I would have, as I mentioned at the start, I would have given serious consideration to playing him in this game. Mm. Um, so I don't worry about it. I accept it as kind of a reality of the situation, you know? For sure, for sure. Um, I like this one from... Uh... Where is it gone? Uh, Emil Smith, row your boat. He said, who showed more of a desperation to hold on to, uh, to a ball for as long as humanly possible? Tom Hanks in Castaway or Emmy Martinez for Villa on Saturday? <laughs> yeah, it's a close one. Wilson and Tom Hanks calls his ball, doesn't he? Yeah. Wilson. It's very traumatic uh, what happens. There. How is Tom Hanks an Aston Villa fan? How does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. But um, we made Tom Hanks sad, and I can accept that. I'm all right with that. I'm all right. I like, you know, Tom Hanks isn't one of the bad guys. I don't. He think seems he seems, seems nice. Like a nice man. He likes typewriters, right? So I don't know what that's got to do with anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fact. It's a fact. He wrote. I think he wrote a book about typewriters. Tom oh, Hanks, uh, typewriter book. Uh, yes, it's called Uncommon Type. I mean, I don't know that it would be high on my list. No, reading. sure. Um, but there you go. Well, there you go. Recommended reading, everyone. Sure. Uh, final one from Jmart91. Goodly morning, gents. Rank your favorite Arteta meme moments. The puss face versus Chelsea. The candle moment in the dressing room in All or Nothing. Or mocking the referee versus Aston Villa. I think the mocking the referee might go in at number one for me. It was just, uh, I mean, someone's clipped it up and set it to staying alive. I've seen that, yeah, it's doing the rounds, yeah. Yeah, that's doing the rounds, and that's quite good fun. But I just think it shows a sort of um, a side to his personality that we don't always see. It's actually quite funny, uh, yeah. which I enjoyed. Uh, I think he can be quite dry occasionally. Um, I think it's one of those that he'll look back on and go, Oof, you know, yeah, you know. Yeah, he looks I, for high standards, and then, but in the heat of the passion, in the heat of the the game, he just can't help himself. Yeah, what was your, what be your number one? I think those? the 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 puss face mm. against Chelsea because every time Richard Keyes posts anything about Mikel Arteta, I just post that picture and reply to him, <laughs> and it just feels there's very little that's more perfect in this world than that <laughs> so <laughs> i like that right. one 
I like that one. Okay, look, we better go and get this podcast out um, for people to listen to. They've been waiting all weekend for this. So if you've got to the end of it, thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here, uh, for listening, for downloading. Your support is is hugely appreciated. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a busy week with stuff to talk about, so join us for all that. We'll have an episode of The 30 a bit later on on Patreon, myself and Phil Costa, reviewing all the Premier League action from the weekend. Some fun stuff in there as well. Uh, Chelsea (laughs) Uh, we'll talk about all that Uh, for now take it easy and we'll catch you on the next one bye bye oh Andrew one more thing what I know (laughs) what loads of people have been messaging me and saying like when is something bad going to happen to James you know after we lost a few games they were like we need something bad to happen to James to really boost up the title challenge are you recording this from your iron lung (laughs) (laughs) no I'm uh I'm going this afternoon to have three wisdom teeth removed. The title is in the bag. Oh, my God. Yeah. De- so Dedication to the car. He's literally... People- I don't need them removed. They're fine. He's- I just thought, what can I do? He's having teeth ripped from his mouth. Ripped out. I'm going to be awake. I mean, it's going to be awful. It's going to be in two, in two hours that's happening. I don't know how you're, you've got through this because I, I would... You're going to be awake. Yeah. Do they not, like, knock you out for that shit? They can do, but the guy talked me into it. He was like, the recovery would be easier. If you're no, 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 no. Sleep. Put me yeah. asleep and wake me up in I a said, few can days. I, I said, can I have headphones in? He said, yeah, sure. So maybe I'll just listen uh, back to the. I'll what, get to this point in the pod. <laughs> what, what good are headphones going to do when he's got his fucking... Foot it's really on your, in my ear. I don't know. I don't know. His foot on but, your shoulder with the pliers going. Mate, I've had oh one pulled out, God. and I, the guy had to basically kneel on my chest. Jesus. Uh, so yeah. So I probably won't be eating solid food this week. So basically, I am committed to the cause. I'm doing everything I can. Right. This is the little coda to the podcast. Get lump your money on Arsenal to win at Leicester. We love you, James. Thank you for your sacrifice for the cause. I'll, I'll, if, if it's funny enough, so if, it, if it's funny and not harrowing, I will post a picture of my uh, fat face. What you should do is uh, we should record a podcast later this afternoon, which oh, is just yeah, Good morning. Well, listen, I wish you the best of luck. I hope it Thank goes you. as well as it possibly can. I'm terrified mm. for you. Mm. I'm as terrified for you right now as I was when Aston Villa had that corner in the last seconds. Well, let's hope it ends as well as that. You know, let's hope Fabio Vieira and Gabriel Martinelli ride in and rescue me. I hope Gabriel Martinelli runs the length of the dentist's office to poke one into your mouth, celebrating before he Let's he does just that. hope this dentist isn't an Aston Villa fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and has listened to this podcast before we... Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, listen. Good luck, James. I hope it all goes well. Okay, I'll give you another bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 